Welcome to the 7 and 7 show where your host, Zach Ellison, extracts valuable insights from top investment experts. Seven key questions in just seven minutes. Stay on top of market trends, expand your investment knowledge, and get tips from the best in the business. Brought to you by Applied Real Intelligence, ARI, the leader in venture debt financing. www.arivc.com. Let's grow! Hi, everybody. Welcome to the 7 and 7 show with Zach Ellison. Today, I have with me Anthony Scaramucci, the man, the myth, the legend, the founder and managing partner of Skybridge. And um, Anthony, great having you here today. Thanks for joining. Oh, it's good to be on. I'm uh, I'm showing you my lifelong suffering today, Zach. I've got my uh, my Met shirt on. I'm heading over to the Met game later. So, uh, you know, if you like pain, you can join me and become a Met fan, which is been a 50-year source of pain for me. Well, I was a Red Sox fan growing up, and so we had decades and decades of pain until... Well, you guys traded it out recently. I mean, you, you've won more World Series in the 21st century than the Yankees, so it's pretty cool. See, people forget that the Patriots and Red Sox actually struggled mightily for, right. for many years, you know, and so we went through pain, and then we kind of earned... Well, there you go. Team later. Well, there you go. Well, so, well good stuff. Or maybe that's up for, for having you. Yeah, no, it's great having you. And, you know, I think the Mets eventually will be winners. So you know, fear not. So uh, just so everybody who's listening knows more about your background, you know, tell us about how you got here and then we can talk about what you're working on now. Well, I mean, my 30 second background, I grew up uh, out here on Long Island. Uh, I went to a public high school, then on to Tufts University and Harvard Law School. I started my career on Wall Street at Goldman Sachs. I spent seven years there. Uh, I left in 96 to build a registered investment advisor. Uh, that was quite successful. We ended up selling that business to Newberger Berman in 2001. Uh, and then I, uh, you know, uh, Newberger got bought by Lehman Brothers. People have a tendency to forget that. But uh, I worked at Lehman for about two and a half years, went to see Dick Fold and told him I wanted to start another company. He frankly helped me do that. And in 05, I left and started Skybridge. And so uh, Skybridge is a couple of billion dollars under management. It's a fund of funds platform. Uh, we do some venture investing. We do some crypto investing. Uh, and we also have our uh, SALT conference, which is the Thaw Leadership Conference that we do four times a year around the world, which would include New York, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Abu Dhabi. So uh, it's been a fun business. I have my own podcast called Open Book and people like uh, authors, I like reading. I interview one author a week, which is a lot of fun for me. Um, I do some public speaking. Um, some people will remember me from my ill-fated stint in Donald Trump's White House, which is six short years ago. I spent 11 days in Trump's White House. I got I got uh, summarily fired after, a frankly, an argument with him, which was fine. And uh, But I, I stayed close friends with General Kelly and H.R. McMaster and those guys. And uh, here we are today, six years later, uh, very, very happy uh, to be at Skybridge uh, working again. And, uh, you know, and it's great to spend time with you. And uh, obviously, you and I have some things in common as it relates to venture debt investing, uh, which I think you have a super exciting business there. Um, and you're, you're going to have this big opportunity now to fill the void of uh, a result of some of the banking uh, collapses uh, that are tied to that industry. And so, uh, you know, you like like you, Zach. I'm always looking for new opportunities and fun things to work on, 
Um, I, boring, I don't like. You know, and now sometimes in investing, you have to go with boring. But I like entertainment and I like fun uh, in most parts of my life. So um, you're somebody that's that's always working on many many things at one time, and I feel like you're you're always kind of on the cutting edge of of what's um, interesting and relevant and profitable. Quite frankly, what are you um, what are you working on now, and what's what's top of mind for you? Well, I'm working on a couple of things right at this moment. I'm going to uh, uh, I'm have a uh, uh, salt conference that we're going to do in um, Hong Kong. Uh, that's going to be a huge uh, event for us. Uh, we're trying to reinvigorate the relationship that we formerly had with China. Um, and so I'm spending some time uh, in the fall in both Singapore and Hong Kong. Um, I'm working on a uh, artificial intelligence ETF, which I hope to launch in October. Uh, some of these uh, AI ETFs, frankly, have not done well because they're a little bit too diversified. And so we're working on one that's more concentrated. Um, I have a crypto ETF. Now, of course, it's not the underlying currencies because we don't have ETFs for those yet, but we do have a basket of publicly traded securities that are tied to the digital property, digital asset space. And, uh, you know, that's done very well this year. Got schmeisted last year, I might add, but, you know, it's up over 150% this year. And so doing quite well there. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got this uh, small fund, not overly allowed to talk about it because it's for accredited investors, uh, but it's basically a unicorn recovery fund. We closed that already. So I guess it's okay to talk about it because we're not accepting new money at this time. Um, but those are some of the fun things that I'm working on. Um, I'm uh, also uh, about to publish my seventh book. Um, and the title of that book, the working title right now, looks like it will be the title, is From uh, from uh, Wall Street to the White House and Back, uh, uh, Scaramucci's Guide to Unbreakable Resilience. And so, you know, I'm... Uh, I'm 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 in there blasting away. You're probably going to get the last laugh. Well, who the hell knows, right? But at least you know you got to cremate me because if I'm just in the coffin, I'm going to really try to pull myself out of the coffin. So if you want me off the field, you got to cremate me. So with all those books behind you, how much reading do you do? So it's interesting. So I am buying books uh, to the tune, and those boxes behind me as well are books that I'm giving away to the local library, but I buy books probably six to one in terms of the capable, you know, my capability to read them. Um, but I am, uh, I'm a big reader. Uh, I'm not going to exaggerate. If I can get through three books a month, which is a total of 36 a year, I'm talking about fully reading the book. Uh, that's a home run for me. Um, sometimes, uh, some years I do a little less, some years I do a little more. I've been doing a lot of traveling this year, and so I'm a big book, tape, audio tape sort of a person. Uh, so I've gotten through about uh, 18 or 19 books thus far this year. So I'm I'm pacing quite well uh, to get that done. Any favorite books on the investment side that you've read at any time? Well, I love uh, uh, the psychology of money. I don't know if you've read Morgan Hassel's new book. It's actually not that new anymore. It's probably 18 months old. Um, I tell people, uh, when I go speak at a college, uh, you should read, uh, Lawrence Cunningham, uh, the essays that Warren Buffett has produced, which are basically 
his annual reports condensed by uh, Professor Cunningham from Columbia. Um, I still love, it's a classic, 35 years old now, but it's called One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. I think that's a very interesting book loaded with a lot of enthusiasm in terms of how to think about investing. Um, but those are classic books to me. Uh, and I'm going to tell you something that's really corny and somewhat esoterica, but I think it's worth reading. And I gave it to all my children is Napoleon Hill wrote a book in the 1930s called Think and Grow Rich. And in that book, there's a mindset. There's an idea about how you become successful and how you become financially independent. And it's about delaying gratification and it's about paying yourself first. Uh, there's another really small book I hand out to everybody called uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. I don't know if you ever heard of the book, but it's written by George Clayson. I've read both, both books books you mentioned. Yeah, somebody knocked that book off and called it The Wealthy Barber back in the 1990s. It was the same book. And what is the idea? Why is the man the richest man in Babylon? Well, he's able to pay himself first. Uh, He lives below his means. And if you have a cable bill, well, then you should have a personal bill. You should have a Zach or an Anthony bill. And in in that, you pay yourself first. And so every month for the last 30 years... I write a check to myself into my funds, into uh, my family's trust, uh, and into the assets that my family holds. And so um, you do that for 30 years, you do that long enough, Zach, and you do it in high quality things that you don't think about, um, it's worthwhile. And I want to tell this story because I think this is elemental to our emotions getting tied to our money. I forgot a account. I don't know what happened, uh, but uh, I had an account at Goldman Sachs and I bought for my children 100 shares of Microsoft in 1991. And so that 100 shares of Microsoft is now 17 to 1 on the investment, okay, 30 years later. And I found the account the other day and I'm looking you straight in the face and telling you I would have sold those shares during the Steve Bomber years as the the company was languishing. But I didn't sell them because I didn't know I had them. And so there they are, and now the uh, company is flourishing. And yes, you can get a situation where you're buying it to something like AIG, it goes bankrupt, or a GE, which you think is a storied company, it goes bankrupt. But generally, when you're buying quality and you sit on quality for very long periods of time, you do quite well. So- Oh, uh, that's the big lessons for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, you just hit on two of the most important lessons in investing. One is the power of compounding. Yep. And the other is being a long-term investor and and being in the market consistently and not you know, over trading and letting behavioral aspects lead you to bad decisions. You know, selling when you're scared and and buying when you're overly exuberant. So you know, that's a great segue into the next question, which is. What are the other key investment principles that that you live by that you think others should as well? Well, I know this sounds nuts, but think like a dead person, okay? And what do I mean by that? If you look at uh, Charles Schwab's uh, accounts, and you can find this on Google, the best performing accounts at Charles Schwab are the dead people. Uh, Why? Well, the dead people don't look at the accounts. They don't focus on it. And so we have a tendency very tied to our emotions. If you were a seller in 2022 of growth, um, you know, maybe it did okay, uh, but look at where growth is now. 
Uh, if you sold your Facebook stock down 65% uh, and said, okay, I'm done with Mark Zuckerberg, he's up 150% this year. And so I would prefer people to just think about holding high quality. Um, I like to tease my clients. I tell them, you know, everybody's a long-term investor until they have short-term losses. The minute they have short-term losses, they snap a match to their hair, or they run around in a circle and start yelling at everybody. Um, but it just doesn't work that way. There's no free lunch on Wall Street. There's no perfect scenario. It's only your golf partner who you're playing golf with on the weekends that has a perfect portfolio. He's the one that's going to be whispering in your ear that he bought Uber before it went public or he owns SpaceX and he's a guru and a genius. But the rest of us are fallible and the rest of us make mistakes in our portfolio. Uh, but I'll tell you where you don't make a mistake is in duration. The longer you can hold your assets, if they're high quality assets, the better you're going to do. And that's the uh, recipe to my success. Um, I'm not the richest person on Wall Street by any means. I've taken a lot of risk in my career, so I've had some oscillations. Uh, but I haven't taken any risk in my personal investment discipline. Um, and when I say not taking any risk, of course, I'm in the stock market, so therefore I have risk. But I'm just explaining, if you put money to work for 30 years in the stock market, you don't have risk because you will be betting on mankind or womankind You'll be betting on long-term growth and innovation. You know, and again, not to tie it all back to your business, but, you know, you have a, a phenomenal footprint because you are investing in growth, early stage uh, ideas. I mean, it could be late stage venture or intermediate stage venture, but this is the stuff that people are going to be looking at in 15 years. This is the stuff that's going to be in the top five or 10 of the Dow 30 in 15 years. Um, and you know, you're, you're, you're looking at it from a debt structure where you can get pretty high coupons because they're emerging companies. Um, you have probably some preferreds in there for yourself or your, for your, for your, your, uh, your LPs where they can potentially get a little bit of an equity kicker. I mean, all of those things, uh, should be in somebody's investment portfolio. People have to think, uh, with a pizza pie chart, you know, I'm not just going to own one thing. I'm going to own a collection of things. And I'm going to be patient and sit tight. You know, it's it's um, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think about innovation as the asset class right now, and a lot of people don't think of innovation as an asset class. But but if you think of if you think of where you're going to make money in the long term, it's got to be through innovative companies because innovation is what's driving value creation, and ultimately where you choose to play. Depends on your risk sentiment and and also you know many other factors. It could be you know later stage large cap tech like like Meta or or, or other um, companies like that, or it could be you know, early stage venture equity. And you know venture debt's kind of right in the middle in the sense that we are investing in the best VC backed companies, but we're doing it through a structure that's a lot safer than equity because we're senior secured and we're earning a, a mid teens coupon every year. But then we've also got equity participation in all the deals. So the way I think about it is innovation is the asset class that I love. Like I think almost all value creation is coming from that. And so how do I want to play it? And I think what you just said about being diversified makes a lot of sense. You want to have exposure to all of those different types of innovative assets. Are there any that you, um, that you like particularly right now in the innovation space? Um, well, listen, I mean, I'm, 
you know, I, I, I've made most of my investments in fintech. And so I own Chime, the Neobank, I own Plaid, I own some of the uh, crypto exchanges like Kraken on a private on the private side. Uh, I own some uh, uh, Bitcoin miners. Did very poorly last year, doing well this year. Um, but you know, I you know where I want to go is in AI. Where I want to go is in some of the some of the things that you're you're looking at. And I think what's extraordinary about what's going on right now, uh, because of the Silicon Valley Bank uh, situation or the First Republic situation you're going to see opportunity. You're going to see opportunity where you're going to have more people to lend to. Um, uh, you're going to see opportunity where uh, people like me or you can enter that space more easily um, because you just have less participants, you have less players. So I like I like all that. Um, but yeah, listen, I mean, you know, you're in the right space and I love the way you're doing it because you have a defensive position in terms of where you are in the capital stack. And so you're going to get that high coupon return, uh, but then you've also got potential equity upside. And so uh, to me, I like, I like the way you think about it. Um, and I think, I think we went through a very wickedly bad market, bear market, uh, and I think we're on the other side of it now. So uh, people that are looking at this stuff right now, uh, I was with somebody it, it literally in Silicon Valley um, last Friday. You know, I was down on Sand Hill Road. I was uh, t- talking to a group of guys, and there is a uh, burning ember smell in the room. You know, people have been blown up and blown out, and they're exhausted. And I said to a couple of young guys, you know, they were in their uh, late 30s. I said, this is very reminiscent to me visiting Silicon Valley in 1999 into the 01 period, you know, because after the NASDAQ crisis and debacle, 23 short years ago for me, but a lot of uh, 30-year-olds don't remember it. Um, people were blown out uh, and they were feeling pretty terrible. Uh, but then if you stepped back and looked at the macro, it was 25 years of the best investing in the history of the world. Okay, think about if you had just held your Amazon or think about it if you bought early into Facebook uh, before it went public or you know, 2000, Google wasn't even public. It went public, you know, Zach, Google went public in August of 04 and uh, the stock traded sideways for a while. But just think about that. Think about what Google became, you know? And so so you, you're you sitting on the future Googles, you're sitting on the future Facebooks and I want to be a part of that and I'm excited about it. So you've seen many cycles over your career. What are some of the lessons you've learned? Either mistakes that others have made or, or maybe even mistakes you've made that you've uh, taken with you to to learn from? Uh, well, listen, I've made so many mistakes, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, um, I, I would say, well, this doesn't reflect well on me, but this is, you know, nakedly honest. I would say overconfidence. Anywhere where I've been in a situation where I have been overconfident, I have literally gotten schmeisted or hit by a UPS truck, you know. So um, I would say that was true in the Trump administration. You know, that was the wrong job for me. I probably shouldn't have taken that job, but I, I took that job for ego reasons. I took it for pride reasons, and so, uh, and it didn't didn't work out well for me. I would say that uh, any of it, I would I would caution investors 
uh, whether it's their career decisions, even their personal relationship decisions or investing, take your pride, take your ego out of the decision making, you'll make way better decisions. You know, I had a buddy of mine that walked away from being the secretary of the army. He had spent time with Donald Trump. Again, I'm not trying to make this about the president, but he spent time with Donald Trump and he made a decision that his personality wasn't going to gel well with Mr. Trump. And so even though he had the appointment, he recused himself, stepped away from the appointment. Uh, that was clear thinking uh, and that was objective thinking. And I would tell you, um, I've been too big in certain positions that have gone to zero on me. Uh, I have uh, uh, I have bought into uh, I bought into a home healthcare company that I thought was going to be the Home Depot of home healthcare. Okay, so the population is aging and blah blah blah, and it turned out that people, for whatever reason, are comfortable at Home Depot, and they're comfortable there versus their local hardware store. But it turned out that when it relates to home healthcare. They're more comfortable with the mom and pop place in their local area because uh, I guess it's sensitive, uh, you know, stuff, patient related, sort of like a going to a doctor patient relationship versus a factory like healthcare response. I got destroyed in that. I lost all my money in that. I mean, I, I could tell you um, when I say I lost all my money, my investment went to zero. You know, I can tell you one mistake after the next, but they're typically born from overconfidence, you know. I would tell people when you're thinking about making a private equity investment, think small. Uh, but also, uh, instead of making that investment, why not put the money just in Berkshire Hathaway? I bet you would do better. Okay, you'd have less zeros in your portfolio. Now, listen, I have done well too. I bought into a couple of spirits companies that done very well. You know, I bought into a tequila company, a rum company. They've done very well. But I've also, you know, I've had my uh, my sets of zeros as, as well. So. Uh, patience, lack of ego, those are the things that will uh, help you in your in your life. So this idea of overconfidence is one that I think about a lot. And, and actually, I'm getting a doctorate degree at the University of Florida in business right now. And I'm a little more than halfway through. And one of the themes we talk about quite a bit is this theme of overconfidence in investing and how generally it's a bad thing. But when I think about the startup system, you have to be overconfident and a little bit crazy to start a new company. You have to literally be overconfident because if you look at the numbers and play the percentages, no new companies would ever be born because most fail, right? And even those that are successful aren't very successful in most cases. And so I always, you know, have this, you know, this little battle in my head essentially, of, you know, how what's the right level? Because you have to be incredibly confident in your and you have to bet on yourself like you have and I have. But you also have to you know, kind of rein in that overconfidence because we can't be the best at everything. And we, you know, there's, there's going to be mistakes that we, we uh, make. And so that's you know, just something I think about a lot because I'm talking to founders you know, every day of the week, essentially. And I want to see confidence in them, but I don't want to see hubris. And so I think there's a, there's a fine line between you know, overconfidence and the right level. No question. We agree. I think, I think that's 100% correct. But I mean, listen, I mean, here's the beauty of uh, everything that we're talking about. Uh, you can make mistakes. That's the greatest thing. You know, you don't, don't, you don't have to be in a straight 45 degree angle. Everything's perfect about your portfolio. I think there's only one person that I know that had that. 
and he went to jail for 150 years. You know, that was Bernard Madoff. I mean, he was telling people he had this perfect system. Uh, they bought into it. And uh, listen, I didn't know him, so I'm not I'm, I'm not one of these history revisers where I say, oh, I knew the guy was a fraud. I didn't know he was a fraud. I'm just saying when you have this 45-degree straight line angle like this uh, without any imperfection in it, it's probably something you want to avoid. Um, the, the, the flip side, though, is... Uh, uh, embrace the mistakes. You know, oh, you know, you, you asked me a really good question. What did I learn from these mistakes? Well, be humble. Um, don't be overconfident. Recognize that there are so many things out of your control. You know, I, uh, not to get morbid, but I lost a very dear friend this year uh, to brain cancer. And he was a 58-year-old, young, vigorous guy. Uh, there's no control. You, you, there's so many things about your life, so many variables in your life that you can't control that being one of them. Certainly, he didn't want to have brain cancer and he didn't want to pass so quickly at such an early age. Um, but you know, if you recognize that there's these things in your life that you can't control, you'll get more comfortable when things are not going your way. 100% agree. And that's one lesson I've learned uh, the hard way. Yeah, you know, there's so many factors that that are going to go against you that uh, that you might not foresee and that you can't control. But my takeaway from a lot of this is that people should bet on themselves. Mm-hmm. There's one thing I've done right in my career; it's bet on myself. And when I haven't done that, that's typically when I've been wrong. Yeah, doesn't mean I'm always yeah. right, but but you know, it's you well, got to bet. It also, let me let me tell you this, and I think you know this: when you are betting on yourself. It's exhilarating. So I would rather bet on myself and fail than and have the experience of betting on myself than not bet on myself. In other words, the the fear-based life is a life life less lived. You know, um, I'd rather take the ride, you know, the ups and downs. People, people, you know, I've had some very public failures. I get fired from the White House. Uh, I got torched by Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX. And so people forget my successes because I'm a public figure and the media wants to write about the car crashes or a bad year at Skybridge or whatever it might be. Um, and But I look at those things and say, hey, I am so thrilled that I stuck my neck out. I don't want to be that guy. I remember, um, probably not totally appropriate for your podcast, but I'm going to share it anyway. I was in a, uh, I was at a cocktail party. I was a vulnerable 32-year-old. I had just left Goldman Sachs and left a big job with big income to do something on my own. And I'm sitting there at the cocktail party and uh, there's a Goldman Sachs guy there and he looked over at his wife. He said, I'm, I'm not like Anthony. I haven't failed at anything. And I thought to myself, Wow, I mean, it was a dig on me. There was an expression of his insecurity. But then I was thinking about it. I was like, well, you know, it made me feel bad for a moment. And then after the moment passed, I was like, well, wait a minute. I want to fail at things. I want to push myself into things. You know, I've written books. I've uh, developed the Fall Leadership Conference. I have an asset management business. I've got a relationship database of over 100,000 people. I've... uh, given public speeches. I've had uh, ups and downs, twists and turns. I've flown on Air Force One. I've worked in the White House. I've given a White House press conference. 
I've been on reality television, whether it was celebrity special forces jumping out of heli helicopters or in the Big Brother uh, home for 10 or 12 days. My point is, is that like, why not fail and get all of the positives of the risk taking uh, than sit there and say, well, geez, I can't make a mistake. I can't do anything that's risk oriented. Otherwise, I could look foolish or embarrass myself. I think those are big lessons, Zach, for people. That might be the biggest lesson. And that goes back to the book you mentioned by Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, right? It's really about um, thinking about uh, thinking positively, right? And we're, we're, but not being afraid to embrace challenge and adversity. And, you know, I think about what causes growth. It's not when everything's easy. Like think about any area of your life, whether it's writing you know, a difficult paper in college or getting stronger in the gym or closing a big deal. These are, these are um, things that we oftentimes fail at at first, and then we have to fight through them. And that's the process that causes growth. It's, it's a challenge we, adversity. Well, we, we agree 100%. I totally agree with that. So uh, turning the tables, we've got a, you know, a little less than 10 minutes left. I wanted to talk to you about alternative investments. This is an area that you're an expert in. Um, I would love to understand, for our listeners mainly, how alternative investments are beneficial to portfolios and ultimately you know, how investors should try to access some of these alternative investments. Well, again, in the context of a broad portfolio, I think you have to have money in venture, money in venture debt, some hedge fund exposure. Um, I think you have to have uh, a small piece in speculative assets uh, because what we have found over time that enriches the portfolio. You know, you you know, you you, you may remember uh, the book pioneering portfolio management okay uh when david wrote that book uh in, you know 20 it's, it's 25 years ago now he was pushing uh venture capital private equity he was pushing uh, and of course this was david swenson the cio from yale who's no longer with us but he he had this brilliant thought that longer term duration longer term assets would yield higher results, create more alpha. And, and so I tell people that are wealthy or even people that are aspiring to be wealthy, have some stocks, have some bonds, uh, more stocks and bonds, frankly, because you want to be on the growth side of things, uh, but then own some of these other assets. You know, Have a toehold in your fund or my fund because you want some of the brightest minds in the world, which you're going to get in the world of private equity or venture venture debt financing or hedge fund management, you're going to get some of the brightest minds in the world and you'll be able to avail yourself to those, you know? So I don't know. That's my thought. I mean, you know, to me, um, I when I started Skybridge, the idea was, okay, there's a dentist in Davenport, Iowa. He's got a financial consultant. They're giving him a stock and bond portfolio he can't get access to Steve Cohen or to Dan Loeb or Paul Singer at Elliott. But what if I create a vehicle for him where there's a $25,000, $50,000 minimum? Let's say that person has a million dollars of net worth. They want to put 5% of their money in hedge funds, which we think is a good idea. Um, now they get access to some of the greatest hedge fund managers in the world. They can do it through my pass-through vehicle. 
We'll do all the quantitative and qualitative risk analysis for them. We'll be their outsourced chief investment officer for their hedge fund portfolio at a very modest fee to do that. And uh, and it's worked out well. We have over 6,000 clients in that business. It's worked out quite well. You know, I really like your SALT conferences as well because they bring together some of the best fund managers with the best allocators. So I've, I've really enjoyed going to those and um, I think they've, they create a lot of value and a lot of learning opportunities and networking opportunities. Well, I appreciate that. And that's the goal of it. You know, I was in, uh, I was in, uh, to exactly where I was, I was in Minneapolis and I was on the uh, conveyor belt there to go through the security line at the airport and somebody tapped me on the back and I turned around, I said, Anthony, I said, yes, I just want to introduce myself. And I just want to let you know that I attended your 2011 SALT conference in Las Vegas, and I met two people who helped me get this fund started 10, 11 years ago. Uh, I started with $30 million under management. I have a half a billion now, and those guys have become great investors of mine. And without the SALT conference, I wouldn't have met them. And I got to tell you, it was like a phenomenal, I mean, I didn't get paid for that or anything like that, but that was the goal. And I'm not looking to get paid. It's a nonlinear transfer of goodwill among people. Uh, and I was thrilled, you know, and I, I, I said, hey, man, this is a great story. I'll be telling this story someday on uh, Zach's podcast. You know, I mean, it's just, that's the kind of karma that you want to create in the world, you know, and I want, I, and I want people to win. You know, I'm, I'm, I am a big believer in people winning, you know, and I'm a big believer in collaborating and I tell my my kids, I can only give you two gifts. Forget about the money, whatever is left over after I'm long dead. Uh, that's not really going to be that helpful to you, believe it or not, because you're either going to be happy or not happy. The money's not going to matter as much as people think. But what will make you happy is celebrating the successes of your friends. And what will make you happy is do the thing that you really want to do in life. Uh, you have to do that because if you do that, um, you know, you're going to never work a day in your life. And I tell my kids, just go do that. You know, what does Mel Brooks say, Zach? You know, relax. None of us are getting out of here a lot. Hey, what a great line about life, right? <laughs> so true. And, you know, the point you made about growth not being linear and you made that in the context of investing, but also just in life. I think about that all the time. You know, people, you know, tend to quit when when things get difficult or they, you know, sell their investments when they're down. And I think one of the lessons I've learned is, you know, just stick it out. And it really is darkest before dawn. Every time where I felt like I'm kind of at, at you know, at a dark point, something happens that totally, you know, changes that and and yeah. you know, I think it's it's that ability to be persistent and resilient. That to me also is what makes great founders because every single company is going to go through challenges, especially early stage companies, and most will throw in the towel. And and yeah. those that don't are going to be the winners. And I'm always sure. betting on them the same way you are. I love to see people be successful. I'm not a hater. You know, it's, there's a lot of haters out there, and you know they they look at what others are doing. And they're like, yeah, I could do that. Try to cut. What kind of energy is that? I mean, you know, there are a couple of negative energy sources that have no value. Number one is to be a hater. I don't have the time for that. Number two is to be a victim or to be a person filled with regret. You know, 
um, uh, it, on my podcast uh, a month a month or so ago, um, I had Robert Green on the Forty Eight Laws of Power, his best selling author, and he said something to me which I like totally rang my bell. He's like, "Hey, you can't have regrets. What kind of sentiment is that? Okay, I made a mistake in my life. I got married and divorced, or I." failed at an investment or I failed at a business uh, venture, who cares? You know, don't spend any time or energy on that. Focus on today and focus on the future, you know? People are like, well, you know, you got fired from the White House. Yes, I did. I don't wake up in the morning and kick myself in the pants and say, geez, I did five or six stupid things. I got my ass fired from the White House. I, I take the millstone of regret and victimization, take it off my neck and put it beside me, and I go forward to enjoy my life. I think it's a big message for people. Uh, they have to think like that. They'll just be so much happier. And, uh, you know, you, you know, this, these are precious times for us, you know, and times are getting better, by the way. Despite what the news is reporting and all this sort of stuff, uh, we're getting better. You know, we, we just developed a paint that we can put on the rooftops of all these buildings now, and it will absorb the sunlight as opposed to overly reflected back into the atmosphere and it'll help stabilize the Earth's temperature. Okay, well, that's cool. Uh, more stuff like that's going to happen. There's more stuff coming out with the mRNA technology that could potentially help us uh, with our immune system related to cancers and different things that are going on. Uh, we may be able to extend our lives a little bit. That's going to happen. Um, you've got uh, an age of abundance that we're about to come upon. Um, and... Uh, you know, why not embrace it? Why not enjoy it? You know, you know, don't sit there focused on every negative thing that's happening. I mean, yes, we rubberneck. We like looking at car crashes. As we drive by the cars, we stare at those, okay? And uh, good news doesn't make the paper. I'm probably having the best year of my career this year after having a disastrous year last year. Well, I had a really bad year last year. It was incredibly well-documented. I think, uh, there was one woman from Bloomberg. I mean, I must have dated her in a past life or something like that. She wrote a series of negative articles about me, and she was firing out a negative article once a month, and then she had a big crescendo, uh, you know, I'm the most terrible person on the planet article. And I read the article, I laughed, you know, and then, and then here's the thing, okay? She wanted to come to the SALT conference. She's a journalist at Bloomberg. And- my staff was all upset with her and they weren't going to allow her registration. I said, what are you, crazy? Let her come. I don't care. I believe in the First Amendment. I believe in free speech. I'm a public figure. She can write whatever the hell she wants. But I think if you are that small-minded, you're not going to let her come to the conference. Let her come. I don't care. But here's the thing. I'm having a phenomenal year this year. No one's going to write that and that's fine. You got you to gotta accept those are the laws of... Uh, our civilization now. That's how things work. And you can't you can't be self-flagellating or feel any victimization or they just you, you you roll with it. You can't be a baby, I guess is the point I'm making. And you also just showed in real life that it's darkest before dawn. You had a rough year last year and now you're killing it. Yeah, exactly. You know, and just Liz, one, it's one quick thought is maybe that reporter who I don't know, um, didn't like you because um, you didn't date her in a past life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm sure if I dated her, she would have been really pissed, more pissed. <laughs> anyway. So um, parting thoughts, anything you want to leave us with about what, what you're going to be doing next and and you know what we should be thinking about? 
Well, I got my book coming out in October, which I'm excited about. Um, we're going to be doing these conferences that I mentioned. Uh, I'm hoping uh, to make an acquisition, um, you know, at some point, a bolt-on acquisition of Skybridge, which hopefully uh, by the end of the year, I can make an announcement about. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about the future. And, um, you know, one thing Buffett said, which I totally agree with, you get better as you get older in this game. Because I think you get more patient, you get wiser, you're more humbled, you're more psychologically minded. And so if the good Lord keeps me on the planet and I stay healthy, I'm looking forward. I think the best years for Skybridge are ahead of us. And I'm looking forward to that as well. I agree with that point. I feel like the more gray gray uh, hairs I get in my beard, um, the better my performance is in my investment portfolio. It's a, almost a direct correlation of one-to-one. -one. 100%. <laughs> I agree with that. I totally agree with that. Well, Anthony, thanks so much for coming on today. I feel like I always get something from you. And um, last thought is, what's the best way for people to follow you or, or uh, keep up on what you're doing? Well, you can go to my podcast, Open Book, anywhere where you get podcasts, the uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, uh, but you can also uh, follow me on Twitter at, at Scaramucci or Instagram at Scaramucci. I'm not on threads yet. Probably uh, I'm too loyal to Elon Musk. I probably won't go on threads, but... Uh, those are the places you can find me. Excellent. Well, thanks again for coming on. And thanks, everybody, for listening to The 7 and 7 Show with Zach Ellison and Anthony Scaramucci. Great, great to be here. Thank you for listening to The 7 and 7 Show with Zach Ellison. We're glad you enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights that you can use to grow your investment returns. Stay connected with us and access previous episodes of The 7 and 7 Show with Zach Ellison by visiting our website at www.7and7show.com or connect with us on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok at 7 and 7 Show. Learn more about ARI's Venture Debt Opportunities Fund and sign up for ARI's newsletter, Uncommon Sense, at www.arivc.com. For investor inquiries, please contact ARI's team at ir at arivc.com. Thank you for your continued support. Until next time, keep learning and growing.